This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. New Society Publishers is your one-stop shop to level up your skills. These episodes are a great way to get a preview of the fascinating subjects and knowledge from my guests, but if you want to build a deeper understanding and practical skills that will serve you on your regenerative journey, then you should check out their titles like Coppice Agroforestry, The Book of Nature Connection, Practical No-Till Farming, Wild Plant Culture, and so many more. They've got audio, digital, and hard copy books so that you can choose your favorite format. Find it all now at newsociety.com. Hey everybody and welcome back. So one of the most important resources that we've been working to create for our network of farmers here in Europe through my work at Climate Farmers is what we've called our coach matching service. We've long since seen that one of the hurdles that farmers face in their transition to regenerative agriculture is either one of two things. Either not the right specific information and the support in their unique context, or as is more common in the internet age, too much information to the point of overwhelm, inaction, and self-doubt. Now the truth is that having too much information fighting for space on your farm management plan is often more damaging than not knowing what to do. And for this reason, we've put a significant effort into finding the most reputable and experienced coaches and consultants in regen ag around Europe in order to help match farmers who are looking for assistance with the right professional for them. Now, I also put emphasis on the title of coach here because we recognize that these transition journeys are part of a longer term strategy for the health of farm ecosystems, businesses, and the health of the people involved. No matter where you are on your own journey, it can be helpful to receive some dedicated support and assistance from someone with an outside perspective and experience in your challenges in order to get over the hurdles in your way and break through to the next level. At the same time, this represents a paradigm shift in the conventional attitude. Many farmers are used to receiving advice from consultants and experts who give calculations and recommendations which are to be followed precisely. Coaching relationships, on the other hand, assume that farmers and land managers know their land and their businesses better than anyone and only need some guidance, some new ideas, and some structure to reach their own potential and that of their farm ecologies. For that reason, I reached out to one of the most prominent voices in this space, Nicole Masters, who is also a trainer of farm coaches, in order to help me to better understand the value of coaching relationships and journeys. Now, though Nicole has been on the show a few times, We've mostly explored the more technical details of water management and soil science, but in this episode, we'll look at her perspective on the work that she does with growers directly, as well as the programs that she's created for professionals who are guiding farmers on their transition journeys. Nicole talks about the paradigm shift in coaching that needs to accompany a paradigm shift in land management, as well as how it can be approached from both sides. From the coaching side, we talk about the abilities and the characteristics that make for an effective coach. And from the farmer side, we discuss how they can prepare themselves for a successful coaching relationship, as well as how to assess a potential coach to see if they'd be a good fit for them. Now, before we jump into this discussion, remember that you can reach out to us directly at Climate Farmers to connect with a coach on your own through our website at climatefarmers.org. And if you're an aspiring coach, I've included the links to Nicole's Create program and in-person trainings in the show notes for this episode. And now I'll hand things over to Nicole. Nicole, it's great to talk to you again. Congratulations on the move to your new place. It's great to see you putting down some roots a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you too, Oliver. <laughs> it's a, Yeah, it's great to see you again. Yeah. And, and to see the work that you're doing in the world. It's um, very inspiring. Oh, I appreciate it. Well, likewise. And along those lines, I mean, we'll get to some of the new projects and the announcements that you're going to have by the end of this show. But we're going to explore today the concept of coaching and how it differs from other types of more conventional advice or expertise relationships with farmers and and academics and and other such and how this can fit more into a holistic or regenerative transition that is more of a longer-term investment in relationships in the land and so kind of with that as a starting point could you tell me how you started to work directly with farmers because you've traveled and, and worked directly with people for quite a, quite a while. Mm. Wow, there was so much just in that statement, <laughs> Oliver, just to unpack. But um, 
Yeah, I think it, when we're thinking about coaching, consultancy, information, extension, education, um, we really are talking about a shift in the same way that regenerative agriculture is a shift on the land. It's a shift in relationships, in empowerment, in context, in terms of finding what works well for you with your goals on your own piece of land, which is very different than the cookie cutter, industrial, large scale, everyone can do it the same way. Um, and, you know, the answer is 200 kilograms. Right. And right. so it, it's challenging for people to get their heads around it because we've become so indoctrinated in this industrial model which really does reward a lack of creativity and imagination and initiative um and not to not to bag conventional agriculture at all um but that is what i see you know, especially working with intensive large-scale cropping operations is wanting to get that joy and that spark back and that really does come through a coaching relationship and so some people might not, well, some of you might not know who I am at all, but um, most of you possibly, but my background is as a, um, as an ecologist, a soil, you know, it's really studying soil science and having that as my foundation is the other half of my study has been in human behavior and organizational learning, systems thinking and adult education. And so I bring this into the programs that we've been doing now. And my very first experience working one-on-one -on -one with a client, and I look back on it now nearly 20 years later, and it was a coaching relationship because I wasn't there to tell him what to do because I was still working it out. Mm. It was working alongside someone and helping or supporting them and finding their own local solutions. And, and that's how I see one of the principles of coaching. Okay, well, maybe to take a step back and create some differentials here. What do you see as the distinction between a coach and a consultant or perhaps an extension agent or other? Mm -hmm. I think the core distinction really is that uh, someone knows more than you and someone's going to give you information and, and then tell you what to do and give you recommendations and say, you know, I've got the answer. So just trust me um, and do this. Whereas coaching is more of an exploration of what's going to work well for you um, what are your particular goals in this area? How is that different from that area over there? Uh, what are we going to do in the short term, the long term, and really working alongside someone to say, okay, let's say you're dealing with this particular issue. And even though we have some expertise, let's go and have a look. What, what potentially could be some of the actions, outcomes, you know, and do the brainstorming. Like what would be the worst case scenario if we didn't do this? Um, and, and, and really being very creative. And I think uh, Carol Sanford, I think, says the quote, like the old model has been in some ways, if you look at what's happening in Africa, I'm going to give you a fish. Extension and uh, consultancies is I'm going to teach you how to fish. And coaching very much is asking the question of why are you fishing? Maybe you didn't even like fishing. It's just your dad was a fisherman, you know? <laughs> and, and to continue to ask those why questions until you get to the core of, I'm doing this because it's always been done this way, or I'm doing this because I'm worried about what the neighbors think. And it's like, is that actually important when maybe you want to have a profitable, successful business model and you're holding yourself back because you're worried about what the neighbors would think? Um and sometimes a lot of that subconscious, like people aren't even aware of what can be running their stories and, and having someone else as a soundboard to kind of peel back what some of those stories are then means that you get to choose. Do you want to be limited by that story or do you want to say, okay, I acknowledge that, you know, maybe I feel like um, that to be successful, I need to struggle. Like you got to work really, really hard in order to be successful. And it's like, is that, wow. is that actually true? Um, and to peel that back beside somebody and explore it as a conversation enables people to take actions that would have been impossible in the past or would have just been a prescription or a change like growing a beard and then you're going to shave it and now you've oh you've changed something but that was just a, a practice you know and what we're seeing 
you know, taking off with regenerative agriculture is, oh, it's cover crops, you know. And so <laughs> the amount of glyphosate that's going to be applied here in the U.S. is going to skyrocket because they're using glyphosate to control cover crops, right? And it's like, let's think this whole process through. If it's just a practice change and you don't develop your ecological understanding, you don't see how important timing and management and all the nuances of, of, of doing something in a regenerative manner, then potentially you could be resulting in a degenerative outcome. And that's not going to happen if you just switch a practice. And, and that's where I see people's thinking is right now is just in practice change. And none of that is going to transform what's happening in agriculture, which is what is needed. Right. Right. And like you said, this is a bigger challenge in, confronting what is essentially a paradigm change to use the words like, like you mentioned of carol sanford um mm -hmm. and it's not a linear jump from you know uh <laughs> getting a fish and then learning to fish it's re-examining the core motivations and the belief systems that inform yeah. the way that you make decisions on the land and yeah that's not easy i mean there's so many limiting beliefs that i uh hit up against on a daily basis and I've been researching this and working in this for years, you know, it's a it's an ongoing process that doesn't finish. And no. I'm curious, you know, since you said you started from a coaching relationship at the beginning, um, how has that evolved? How have you changed your way of approaching things? And, you know, yeah, I guess how has this evolved over time? You know, because nobody really continues with the same practices that they did when they started. No, and it's kind of even um, like I published a book in 2019 that I start started writing in 2017, and now I read it and go, "Oh my gosh, I'd say that so differently," and I would, I'd want to express that differently, and so I'm like, "Oh man, I have to write another book to kind of <laughs> deal with that." So I, I do think it's an evolution, and I think what um, I've become better and better at is putting my assumptions to the side putting my judgments to the side when I'm working with someone, having a really clear frame of mind and listening for what is their real concern and listening for what is this landscape speaking to us about and what do they hear if they actually sat and stopped and listened for a while? What is this issue saying? And, and so that listening and then being able to not necessarily ask the like the best questions because I don't think there is such a thing as a perfect question, but um, opening up my questioning in different ways because my my natural propensity is I'm a know-it-all and I go to um, information. I love the geeking out. I love the technical stuff and I'll immediately jump to that and to fix it. And it's just even just catching myself and building muscle in I'm trying to leap to some kind of fix-it solution that really might make a temporal bump, but it's not going to make the 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 impact that this producer is looking for. Sure. It's a matter of more leading them to find the solution that's right for them, or even if it's an experiment, if you don't know it yet, rather than that knee-jerk reaction to, to give the answer, uh, as a lot of teachers do. And, and I think I think that's been the benefit <clears throat> of working in so many landscapes and in so many places around the world. And for the last eight years, I've lived in people's houses with them, mm. with ranchers and farmers, and just realizing how little I know and how actually all of that information that I collect and all of that just drive to feel like I need I don't know enough. Um, actually is not important that's not what makes the difference with people and appreciating how different people's contexts are <clears throat> that we don't need this cookie cutter mentality um and so I think it keeps it keeps me humble a bit than than if I would have if I'd stayed living in New Zealand and stayed just working in one sector mm. um yeah got a bit of a you know turned into a smart ass <laughs> <laughs> Well, so that makes me think as well of something that you've brought up on the show in the past, which is that a good coach first does the the internal work before starting mm -hmm. to work with other people. And yeah. I had wanted to elaborate even further on that in a previous episode, but maybe this is a good place to do that. What do you mean by the inner work or the, I guess the process to get yourself out of the way to be more effective in these coaching relationships? Yeah, 
I don't know who I I don't know if this quote is true and it might be made up, but this um anecdote that Gandhi was at a world peace conference and everyone's like we need world peace and world peace and then he said to everyone well who here in this room has peace in their heart and they were like no and it's like well you're expecting something externally to shift when you're not responsible or accountable for the internal peace and I find the most successful producers that I work with um, and coaches and people in the world have done that work in terms of not being ruled by some story that you made up when you were five years old you know like just taking the time to look at is this cultural metaphor that is this is how this is done is that even true <clears throat> and is it true culturally how different is it in the U.S. to Spain to Portugal to New Zealand um these these the water that we're swimming in that we can't even see and I think the ability to hone your ability to see what is the water that I'm swimming in what are the things that I'm saying is a, is a truth when actually it's not what do I'm saying about myself so we do a we do a half day session called the ecology of money and what we do in that session is peel back what is your story about money? How does money show up for you in your life? How does it show up in what you say about people that are rich, that are poor? What were the stories that your family had, your ancestors had about money and how does that shape your, your relationship with it now? And so I spent about 18 months working through that for myself. Um, I was developing a program that cost about $290,000 US to develop. And I was realizing I was waiting for someone to bail me out because that had happened in my 20s as a, or in my youth you know I'd get in trouble and my dad would bail me out and so I had this sensation like I'm just someone's gonna just arrive and pay for this program and then I I finally just realized I had this story and I was like okay I'm I'm just gonna be the source I'm gonna make this happen and and, and I did and it only came from peeling that back and seeing what was the story that I had around finances, you know, that, that we were going to struggle. We got a lot of Irish ancestry, you know, that oh. money is hard work and, <laughs> um, and you're never going to have any, you know, so if I ever had money, I'd give it away. Like I never had money in my wallet. I was always in debt. And just in that moment of peeling that back, like I no longer have debt. I no longer wait for someone to save me. Um, and so you could take just that money aspect and you could apply that to every piece of your life. Where am I operating from a habitual habit that might've served me when I was 15, but it doesn't serve me now. And so it's being willing to really look at some of these things that are uncomfortable. And sometimes that I mean, I have a coach. I've always, not always, I've had a coach for 13 years. I have someone that helps support me in peeling these layers back so that I can be more effective when I'm working with people. Yeah, have you have you had those experiences? <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I am constantly working through peeling back the layers of my limiting beliefs and the stories that I've told myself over and over. Like you said, it ends up being a background and you often don't recognize the water that you're swimming in because it's it's invisible to you, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, I've I've had coaching in the past. Uh, I've I've happily paid for it when it's been something that I can recognize. But there's also a difficulty from recognizing that there's an issue or a limiting belief, and then actually taking the steps to overcome it. Have you found mm -hmm. any tricks or or let's say processes to take the actual step between identification and actually changing something? Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's the power of the habit. Um, but two, what I'm looking for is that aha, aha moment where it actually becomes abhorrent to keep a behavior up, you know. So um, let's say the use of dicamba or a really harsh chemical is once you see the impact of that, and that might be on your family, it might be on your own health, your grandparents. I see a lot of people they can take that moment and then there's no way they're ever going to kind of go back. So I'm often looking for what is something that really is an aha that means it's impossible to go back to whatever that is. Or we look at what's a habit that 
So maybe you're spraying glyphosate. And one of the things we look at is you can reduce your glyphosate by 30% by adding in some fulvic acid. Let's make that easy by putting the can of fulvic acid right next to where the herbicide is. So looking at what is something that's just habitual, you're going to do it without thinking, okay, how do I set myself up for success? Um, you know, and you could look at that in terms of eating, you know, what kind of food are you eating? What's your habitual kind of reaching for? Um, how do we interrupt that? And what we find is that if you look at behavior change programs around the world, if you look at even someone's had a diagnosis and the doctor says, if you keep eating this way and not exercising, you've probably got six months to live. That has um, an impact in people changing the behavior of about 12 to 30%, depending on what data you look at. So trying to motivate people through fear is very, very ineffectual. So uh, I'm very interested in the neuroscience of change, what's happening in the brain. How do we shift people into a space that's called the parasympathetic nervous system, right? So most people are operating in the sympathetic, which is the flight and fight. And what happens when we're in flight and fight, and if you are worried and stressed out about debt, if you're super stressed out about the weather and your parents-in-law, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, um, blood rushes to the extremities. Blood goes away from the brain and goes to, you know, so you can run from the saber-toothed tiger or whatever it might be. And what I find with a lot of producers when I go and work in areas, let's say Eastern Montana, uh, people are in this very highly sympathetic nervous system and you can't create from that. You can't break a habit from that because you're in survival mode. So we have some exercises that we do to look at how do we get back into a parasympathetic nervous system. So it might be some very simple practices like um, an active service. You know, like hmm. doing something for others in the community, helping out the elderly, helping out the homeless or someone in need can actually shift that whole vagus nerve and your your system. So you move into a rest and digest. And and I don't think agriculture is unique, but what happens is we don't rest. We don't allow ourselves to rest because you're lazy you're stupid. You you can't afford to do that. You you got too much debt to rest. And by by doing that, we put ourselves into a system that means it's impossible to think and it's impossible to shift habits. Um, one of the other ways we can shift into a parasympathetic nervous state is to pat animals. So like yeah. you're out with your cows, pat the cows. If <laughs> I've got the cat in here and somewhere. Oh, he's sleeping. But you know, patting a cat can actually shift that nervous system and we can feel that shift. Because if I talk about things like meditation, which I don't do because my brain just, no, you and me I can't sit still. <laughs> but uh, for most producers, that's not, they're not going to meditate. Uh, they're not going to do yoga. But there are some very simple breathing, you know, like the, the box or the breathe in three, breathe out, hold for three, that very simple structure. I find just go and do that at the back of the paddock. No one can see you. It's not weird. You're just going to breathe because people are breathing shallowly. Like they, their breath yeah. is all up in here. You know, yeah. it's like no wonder your suicide rates through the roof. No wonder people are just like so overwhelmed and, and it's getting harder and harder to produce food. Um, like it just feels like everything's working against producers. Um, and that's where I find let's just reset. Is this something we can do for self care that's actually going to help? you shift something that's not working. Sorry, that was a long explanation. No, but... that's really good. I'm so glad you brought up these ideas behind the science of behavior change because I've also been researching this a lot lately and have seen some techniques and some processes be very effective in breaking some of these patterns that we find ourselves mm -hmm. just repeating over and over from a mindset of scarcity. Um, I've done this yeah. both with myself and with clients. Uh, have you ever worked with fear setting as an exercise? fear setting i'm not sure explain that okay so this one's cool and i've seen it work wonders is you know oftentimes i'll find that the things that we're talking about they know all the reasons to do something or they know all the information behind it and you know we're trying to figure out okay well why haven't you actually taken action on this knowledge right and yeah. oftentimes there's some sort of fear or anxiety behind that that's constantly putting a point of friction in between taking action mm -hmm. and the idea of fear setting is that you break down the whole what if conversation and just mm -hmm. answer it completely. 
right? So we mm-hmm. play one on our heads, but we never actually go through and and play out the scenario all the way to the end, right? Yeah, yeah. Answer the question, what if the worst case scenario happens? And then you can, mm-hmm. when you play out the worst case scenario and write it down specifically, then you have the opportunity uh-huh. to look at, okay, if this were to actually happen, are there controls or mitigations that I can put in now that either I could come back from this or make it less damaging? And oftentimes yeah. these are not nearly as scary as you build them up to be in your head. And mm-hmm. even if they could really happen, there are some fairly easy or cost-effective ways to make sure that it's not as damaging as it could potentially be. And by mm-hmm. naming and fully playing out these entire scenarios, it takes the the fear out of them and the sense of your imagination to blow them up into something much larger than they usually are. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the the quote, but uh, there's something to the effect of like, I've suffered a thousand times more for things that I thought could happen than, than the unimagined ones that actually played out in real life. And mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just very true when, when, I mean, you know, certainly certain personality types are more susceptible to this than others, but that's one that mm-hmm. I found really effective. I've actually done a lot with my partner. She has a tendency to worry a whole lot. And by playing these fears out completely, she realizes that a lot of her anxieties are either fairly unfounded or the worst case scenarios are really manageable. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting to have a partner that you that is willing to be coached by you. I often think of that's a no-go zone. You've only let me go once or twice, but it worked really well. And then now she says that she can do it on her own and then of course never does it. Yeah. Yeah. And so you see people having substantial breakthroughs and taking new action by thinking, going through the thinking? By breaking the fears down into what they actually are rather than what your imagination builds them up to be. Yeah. 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 I'm thinking of some clients I've been doing this work with recently and their fears are very legitimate in terms of they're going to lose the ranch, the ancestral home, the family not going to talk to each other. So um, I often talk about, you know, what are the warning signs for you in terms of, you know, what what's a pre-warning that, that poten- potentially some of these fears might be becoming realized and then where do we look at getting into action before a scenario is created that, you know, you're just on a sliding slope. I think, yeah, often my work is trying to frame things in that parasympathetic state, right? We can always identify what's, and like you said, everybody's often pretty clear about what's not working. (laughs) They might not, they might have different reasons for why they think something isn't working, but yeah. Well, so I would imagine, too, that because you've worked with training a lot of coaches as well, and everybody has their own way about approaching these. Many of the subjects that you're touching on with people are very sensitive and very personal, even though mm-hmm. it may manifest itself as like a simple decision on a farm. You're getting mm-hmm. to these things and, and it can you know, probably provoke some pretty dramatic responses. How do you navigate mm-hmm. that and, and deal with the interpersonal part of these these sensitive topics? Mm. it's it's very interesting because I very rarely find that we end up in a flare-up and and often it's like a soil you know when you're going through a rehabilitation we can have healing crises that which is why having a coach to work through things can be really helpful because often we become discombobulated as we're working through some kind of transition you know and and we call it the perturbation you know it can feel worse <laughs> when you've identified something and start to see something before a breakthrough happens and um i think being able to move through that phase relatively quickly is really powerful when i'm working with people um i think if the more that i'm accountable for my own emotional reactions to people and just allow people to be upset or to be angry or to be militant about their views and it just it just blows through me like and so that's why it's even hard to think of any instances because I've been in some really like intense head-to-heads where they've tried to come at me and they've found there's nothing for them to hit so um we can't I can kind of flow through that and then allow someone to see their own reaction I have a story that I tell about a guy wanting to attack me because he thought that I was saying that um 
that we should have wolves here in Montana. And he was very anti-wolf. And he, he yelled at me for like 40 minutes about this and that and this and that. And I just got curious. I just got really interested in, in what his view was. And he went away and probably reflected on his behavior, but he came back and he'd be like, I really like birds. And I'm like, okay, good. Then he'd go away and he'd come back and he'd say, my wife says I don't like change. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then he'd leave and he'd go and think some more and come back. And by the end of the day, he was my best friend. Um, Maybe, maybe not. But he, it, by just allowing that space for people to be able to reflect and I can have a viewpoint about wolves, but that's not... What I'm finding is we're becoming more and more polarized as a society and being here in America, I think probably is the most extreme of polarizations. And what happens in polarization is people feel like it's their, if you ask them, it's actually their personal values that they feel is being attacked. And so getting curious about what is the value that that you have underneath this? So even like a conventional producer getting really angry about regenerative agriculture, I say, what is it that you value about conventional agriculture? Well, it's easy. It's simple. I have the machinery. It's streamlined. And it's like, okay, cool. So how do we maintain those values and shift into more of a regenerative production system? So not ignoring what is important for that person, but looking at how do we integrate that into meeting potentially what their other goals might be, right? And so... I don't know if that answers your question, but just thinking when we're working with people is how how to kind of be on that journey with them without my personal agenda or, you know, what I think they should get and putting that to the side. And it does take some training, <laughs> I just want to say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's experience, experience in that is, is very valuable. And it, it's very much in line with something that I have been finding increasingly in this space where Often the time the, the question comes up of how do we convince other people to adopt regenerative agriculture? <laughs> <And> <laughs> I, I, I can see you right now. You just you prickle up when that, that happens. And so oh, I hate that word. It's, yeah. it's this assumption that we have better information and a better way of doing things, which goes back to the paradigm we're trying to get out of and yeah. that we have some sort of responsibility to convince other people. It's very evangelical. Right. Um, and I've been finding that just like what you said earlier, it's not about convincing people. It's about understanding where our values are the same and mm -hmm. looking for the overlap in how we can all accomplish what it is that's important to us as, as core values. And mm -hmm. the techniques and the practices are kind of symptomatic when you get to what's really important for people. And those often are far more common than yeah. the difference between regenerative or organic or conventional or any of these other you know names. Yeah, exactly. And I think the minute that I'm being reductionist in my thinking and my reactions or I'm being linear in what I'm trying to do, then I'm back in the old model. If I'm trying to fix, if I've got the answer, if I'm being dogmatic, if I'm like, you can't do that, it must be this way, then I'm like, oh, okay, I'm back in the old paradigm. So it's easy to kind of swim in and out of them. And that's where I think why it's so important to be self-aware. And I think we're seeing this coming up a lot in social media and I'm like, I, I just tune out because I'm not interested in kind of dealing with the evangelical dogmatic. It's, well, I gotta say, yeah. it's reassuring from my perspective as someone that I look up to so much in this, this line of work that you still struggle as well with, you know, getting outside of these paradigms and these mindsets. It's an ongoing journey and you never, you never complete it, right? You never get to the end. It's a meditation as much as anything. No, and I think it's like thinking about, you know, when um, not Edison, the other guy invented the light bulb, he did that in a world that was, you know, we still had horses and there was no, he did that with a, a candlelight. And so these paradigms are emerging within the current structure. And this is where I'm resistant to defining regenerative agriculture and probably won't ever do that because it doesn't mean anything even at this point, um, is that you can't define a paradigm when you're not inside it. How do, You can't even imagine the world of the light bulb when we're all candlelight, right? And that's kind of where the shift is. And it's not in a way that's, no, that sounds really condescending. And I don't mean to sound condescending. It's just 
it's very hard to describe something when you're not walking that walk. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Um, and that, mm. that leads me to wonder, since you have worked with so many aspiring coaches through your Create program and, and in your line of work, have you started mm. to find characteristics or personality traits of people who excel in this work and others mm. who perhaps have a ton of experience and knowledge but really struggle with the coaching mindset that you talk about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's so interesting because probably out of people that apply to the program, the hardcore agronomists are more likely to get turned down because they're not coachable. So uh, we have coachable questions that that invite an ability to self-reflect, an ability to look at what didn't go well in the past and where do they look for blame or accountability. Um, if you're not able to see where your own accountability is in some kind of outcome and you're going to blame the weather or blame the neighbors or blame your parents, um, that mindset is not a good fit for a coach. Uh, and they are the most time consuming for us to work with and often come with these very, and, and actually I'll say this even for um, some of the more holistic frameworks is people come with some past training that they then think this is the way, the truth and the light. And it's really hard to train those people. I'm like, well, is there some aspects that could work better, but they fall back onto those old frameworks a lot. So that is something that we're looking for is the ability to be curious, to question everything, to keep examining and expanding the, yeah, like you said, it's the journey, right? Um, and so that would be one of our foundational criteria. So we've taken people on that have had less practical experience with regenerative agriculture because of their ability to ask questions and think in complexity and and holism and and going okay like this person can learn the uh, you know regenerative practices to to actually train them in the coaching piece is harder yeah yeah that makes sense um mm. well so let's turn this around and look at it from the opposite perspective because i work with our our farmer network in 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 europe very often and I'm trying to understand how farmers can better prepare themselves to get the most out of a coaching relationship as well. Starting with, mm -hmm. let's say, how would you evaluate a coach to see if it would be a good fit for you? Yeah, it's a good question. And I think part of this is being willing to go on the journey and we call it ruffling through the underpants drawer. You know, like let's, let's, we're out in the field, we're going to look at things that are not working as well. Is there, are there aspects that you just don't want to kind of, dig into and and you got to feel really comfortable and safe with that coach and I think having a coach that's really clear at the start this is this is what this session is going to look like this is what this day in the field is going to look like um because what I find is a lot of coaches don't set people up well and then people are disappointed because they were like well I wanted you to tell me what the answer was mm. and it's like okay so um understanding that a coaching relationship's different because regenerative agriculture is different um, than the old model. So being being okay with the questions and still, like I won't just throw questions at somebody for days on end because that's annoying and frustrating, especially when you're trying to to learn. So, you know, I think there's an educational piece. So it's it's kind of different than coaching from life coaching or some of the other like business coaching models that you see i think agroecological coaching is an emergent space and it's very different in terms of being able to learn to read a landscape what are these kind of signals what's happening with you know weed populations or diseases um is it is an ongoing exploration um and so i think being clear with what you want from a coaching relationship do you want just the answer then then say that up front because a coach isn't going to work want to work with you if you just want the answer if you're like hey i'm really curious and i'd like to understand um e you know the ecological system of my farm better cool you know so um just make sure you're asking those coaches what what does it look like what is an outcome of working with that particular coach i often think it's a good idea to ring um if they've had any long-term clients to ring those clients and talk to them directly and just say you know what has your experience been like um and, you know, what would they do differently? And, you know, what kind of questions are they asking of their coach? Um, but, yeah, I think rapport 
is probably number one. And then looking at what, you know, what does it look like other than the ground with that produce with that coach? Yeah. Mm. And building mm -hmm. on that, what are some of the things that they can do to prepare themselves to get the most out of a journey like this? Perhaps mm. setting expectations for themselves as well as how much uh, they should be willing to invest. I think listening to a lot of um, podcasts like this, I think there's some really, yeah. really good, <laughs> really good um, information and in just asking those questions. Like, I wonder why, like, why are insects attracted to these plants? You know, John Kemp has some amazing yeah. podcasts. Um, why do I have these particular diseases and going and listening to some of the holistic vets and just, there's ahas in there for everybody, I think, to think about, oh, wow, you mean pink eye has a relationship with zinc and vitamin A, and that has a relationship with mycorrhizal fungi? I had no idea. You mean if we get fungi working in the system, that can actually impact on my, you know, vet bills and animal health? Yes. You know, and, and so I think the more that we explore these pieces um, and observations, then then that's going to be, you know, a great foundation. But I think some people, they might just be starting out, right? And and so I think working with someone that has experience and finding yourself a mentor group of other farmers that maybe, you know, they're a little further ahead that you can have informal discussions. And, and that, for me, was the foundation of my career was just farmer groups would get together and look at what wasn't working well and what is working really well and just have that vulnerability um, to share so see find networks like that they exist all over the all over the world you, you're not alone yeah that's true mm. now I guess going a little bit further with this idea of what you should invest is also the financial side and this is one mm. of the challenges that I've been seeing because across Europe you have very wide ranges of uh, available funds of, of budgets that people have to work with um the north tends to be quite a bit wealthier and have have more assets to work with and in the south and in the east you know this can be something that's just outside of the budget for people and i'm wondering how you help people to understand how much it's worth to invest in a coaching relationship like this and mm -hmm. you know how to make sure that this this pays off in the end because it can represent a really big upfront investment for some people Mm -hmm. It can. And I think that's where working with someone where you can quantify that or have that reflected back in terms of what has the value be. And, and, and it's kind of like investing in soil health is you might not see that return in year one. Um, yeah. And so what what are you able to do? Do you want to just have a, an informal relationship where maybe that coaching is only happening a couple of times a year um, to a, a closer you know, relationship where, you know, you might be spending, like I spend $30,000 a year on coaches. You know, <laughs> like, That's an investment for me because uh, that, that shows up in the world around me. I mean, that I know I'm, that's, I'm going to see a return on that investment. Um, so it's, it's a very wide sliding scale. Um, I think part of it is working with a coach that can help you see your own financial story um, and people go, oh, well, that's really expensive. And it's like, well, compared to what? You know, like right now, you're in all this debt, you've got all this equipment and all this machinery and all this investment, and you never really did the return on investment on those assets that have never paid you back. All right, how how to work with someone that can, you know, there's really good agricultural business coaches. I don't know about in your part of the world, but certainly here in the States. Um, like the ranching for profit, the grazing for profit in Australia, they have some just incredible, um, or the KLR program with Graham Reese, KLM, KLM, um, that, that they are um, really supporting producers, coaching them and helping them work through that financial piece. Um, and that is, that potentially is a tenfold investment. Um, so I think, yeah. Find those ways that you can figure out how am I going to make this work and have that conversation with a coach. Like if I invest in this, what potential outcomes? And again, by talking to their past clients, are those clients more profitable? If that's a if that's a goal, right? I find for some producers then that that profit piece isn't such a driver. It might be, you know, being able to, you know, take on more land or 
whatever your goals are, right? Like everyone has different goals. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think also with the availability of technology now, you don't necessarily need to have someone on the ground all of the time. Obviously, mm -hmm. being there and seeing the land is an, an essential portion of having a coach that understands the context you're working in. But yeah. would you say that it's still effective to have someone remotely helping you out and uh, not necessarily having to be there holding your hands all the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's worth, um, yeah, Zoom calls these days, checking in. Um, I have a a coach right now that I'm working through just the, the financial piece of just understanding. It's always been something I've been a bit lackadaisical about. And so I meet with him every week for 15 minutes to half an hour just to check in what actions have I taken and having that like accountability coach mm. is so valuable um absolutely and and I can already see the difference it's making in peace of mind understanding what I need to be putting aside for things like taxes or developing programs or can I afford to take on more staff I had no idea until I took him on and it's like that Every dollar I'm spending with him, I'm sure I'm probably going to make tenfold back. Um, yeah. And and so finding someone like that, I think, in these early days. Um, yeah. If, if, fi if finances are the reason that you don't want to get a soil coach, then maybe get yourself a, a profit coach to start with. And then you could actually afford, like, I don't pay myself anymore like a salary. I pay myself based on what did I earn last month. And and I've never done that. I've always been taking from the, the business, like not knowing if I could actually afford to pay myself. And that's a really dangerous way to run a business. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I recommend finding someone like that. And then they can go, well, actually, you can't afford a $30,000 coach. So let's look at um, what things could you put in place? Yeah. Like, I don't think, I don't think we should be running our businesses into the ground. And I see people making some really poor regenerative practice decisions that they can't afford to do and then they blame it on regenerative ag instead of i've just risked everything on this idea and it was a disaster sure sure and certainly farming is not the only place where those kinds of mistakes and assumptions happen you see it all over the place and this kind of brings us back to what we're kind of forming this this interview around is the fact that as regenerative agriculture has become this buzzword and has gained in popularity over the last few years, you've just seen people burst out of the scene as instant experts and coaches and consultants all over the place. And the truth is that people who are really capable, experienced and trained how to do this are quite few and far between still. And that's one of the reasons why you've created a program to train people to do this better. Can you explain yeah. a bit about the CREATE program and, and how that's developed? Yeah. Well, yeah, the CREATE program arose because we couldn't hire people. I'm like, where are the people that can breed manure, cows, microbiology, nutrient dynamics, and people? Where are they? And I'm like, oh, man, we're going to have to train these people because just finding, you know, people have strengths. They might be really good practitioners. They might be really good with soil or compost. Um, but having that whole package, because I feel like this is a package. It's being able to read all of all of these aspects. And that takes um, it takes a, a really strong foundation. And so we developed CREATE. So CREATE stands for Consciously Regenerating Ecosystems and Agriculture Through Transformative Experiences. Well, that's why we call it CREATE, right? <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to shorten that. Um, but for that idea of yeah, how do we how do we work in transforming transforming landscapes and people and outcomes for ecosystem function? Because I feel a sense of urgency. I think we all do. Mm. But how how to work more effectively without being overwhelmed and feeling like you've got to do everything? And oh my god, I'm not doing enough. And um, you know, and so that's part of the coaching is. What's my realm of influence? Where can I be more effective with my time? Which is why I'm not working one-on-one -on -one very often at all. I'm working by training the trainers is that's the best use of my time. And I feel like those people are going to be making an impact in the world. 
um, if we can transform our conversations about scarcity, about competition, and look at how do I model my businesses and myself within the rules of nature in a way that's not greedy and exploitative and being an old or like <laughs> just taking all these pieces on. Um, and so it's just been amazing to see the people that are um, that have applied and come through the programs. You know, some of the best um, graziers, turf managers, um, vegetable producers in the world um, who are now ready to to coach and support others. You know, and it's often been a, a confidence issue. Like it is a big thing to stand up and go, oh, I feel like I can help someone else in their journey. And you're like, but really, do I know enough? Do I have enough experience? Mm. Blah, 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 all this stuff that we that we feel. And it's like, we you really don't have to be a hundredfold ahead of a producer when you're working with them. You just need that one step ahead to be able to, to keep drawing someone towards what's, what's possible. Um, and so, yeah, I think that confidence piece and being able to run a successful business, you know, we give away everything that I've used to develop integrity soils, operations manuals, templates, um, what we use in terms of having conversations with people, uh, how do we get into that parasympathetic state? Um, and it was really just making all of my implicit, just intuitive way of working explicit, putting it down on paper and saying, okay, how do we train others so that they could train others? You know, like let's have this ripple effect. And I might never know where that one coach went off and what they did with their lives and what they shifted, but they're going to be shifting something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the way I've heard it explained once is that you don't have to be at the end des destination to guide someone mm -hmm. along a trail, you know, you just have to be a few steps ahead of them. And it does. It's empowering, like you don't have to at the same time, make claims that you can't hold up to or be an expert in everything. Um, yeah. The way that I have kind of incrementally grown in my capacities and my skills is by being very honest about what I feel confident and competent in helping people with. And where it's time for me to hand them over to someone who can take them on the next leg of the journey, you know, and that's often, in fact, that's how our coach matching service at Climate Farmers works, is that we will often work to help people find the right coach for what it is that's important to them at a given time. And in fact, we've actually come with some of your alumni from the Create program uh, who signed up with us and started to help some of our farmers through the network as well. Uh, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And one yeah, of the great parts yeah. about this is that we can we can do this as a collective, right? One person yes. does not have to be a one-stop shop of expertise for everything. We can, you know, we can share the the journey and make sure that people are paired with the person who's right for the stage of development that they're going through. So how do you assess that? How are you guys um, figuring that out? Through quite a few calls. We have, you know, real FaceTime with people and have conversations and figure out, first of all, what their immediate needs are. Mm -hmm. uh, their unique vision of where they want to go rather than mm -hmm. some you know manufactured idea of success that's been put on them and mm -hmm. what it is that they either feel that they're lacking or could use help with in order to get to the next stage and then based on that and how well we know our consultant network we let them have an initial call with people first so that they can mm -hmm. decide for themselves if they feel like they get along with this person and they can help answer those questions and mm -hmm. you know, that's a free initial consultation so that we give them a few options and they can make that mm -hmm. choice. And yeah, it's been working out pretty mm -hmm. well so far. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh, is there any piece in that where you're, where you're following up and looking for that accountability success? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially if we haven't worked with a coach before, we look mm -hmm. for testimonials and recommendations from farmers first rather than yeah. them just showing a certificate, right? We are very mm -hmm. big on having the advocacy of people who have gone through journeys with them, who have received services to tell us, you know, whether this is someone we should advocate for. Mm. That's great. So you're kind of doing some of the legwork so the farmers don't need to be doing it, which yeah, is helpful. Yeah, Add some value at this point, right? Because it is difficult if you haven't worked with a coach before to know where to start and mm -hmm. see what the options are. Because like you said, there's still very few people who are, who are working in this space and have experience and testimonials from from folks that they worked with. Mm. Well, I think there's a, a great opportunity for cross pollination with the fellowship of coaches coming out of in, Integrity Soils or Create and what's happening in Europe, especially 
as I just want to announce, we're bringing Create to the UK, to Europe in September of this year, um, which is six, six months ahead of... You've only ever done this in the States and Australia before, or? Yeah, yeah. So this is the first yeah. time, in, that's wonderful. First time, first time in Europe, yeah. So, um, and it will be held at Althorpe Estate, um, the Spencer family. So we're very excited about or what all Thorpe are doing in terms of their journey. So to be able to have a living lab um, that you can go out and see, you know, this property is in transition. Uh, what are some of the factors, the decision-making tools, the staff training, like all of these pieces that contribute to success. Um, and so being able to be on the property in this early transition is, is really, really powerful. And they have beautiful soil. <laughs> Oh, that's super exciting. Man, it's so helpful to have yeah. reference as to what you're shooting for. That's often what yes. I start with when I when I work on a place is like there are so few references around me that it's difficult yeah. to point to somewhere and say, like, this is what you're aiming for if you don't have oh. something to show. No, and I, I don't think it all over at that stage, but I think um it's it's a it's a common issue because what we're seeing is disabled, dysfunctional, diseased states uh, people think is normal. And mm. then it's like, uh, what if it didn't look like that? What would be possible? And they're like, oh, no, this is it's always been like this, like the amount of fights I've kind of gotten with, um, you know, like soil scientists about how something has always been like this. Yeah. And then to find old, especially in this country, there's a lot of colonial or cavalry accounts and you go, ah. Uh, not normal that's not what it used to look like but yeah. it's because i mean we have a collective ecological amnesia about what has happened in the past and it almost becomes impossible to imagine vibrancy and life and root systems that go down you know meters when everyone's used to root systems are going down like that deep yeah um so yeah it's um they call it baseline reset syndrome is that what it is it's like every new generation's <laughs> reference to what normal is is set by their own lifespan. And when mm. you start to lose those older generations or reference to what something has the capacity or the potential to become, uh, mm. it's very hard to orient yourself as to what you're actually trying to achieve. Mm. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. And yeah, I think these generations, we have more ability to record things. It's just we are recording dysfunction. Um, but then, yeah, I was at Piscini's Ranch last week in California. And, you know, the return of locally extinct bird populations, they were they had an issue in the vineyard of all of their um, sprinkler systems were blocking and they they actually got a specialist in. They cut open the sprinkler and looked at it under a microscope. And it was it was so full of spider webs and eggs and spiders that it was blocking up their system. And it's like, how exciting to have those kind of problems that you now have so many spiders and so many insects and that system is just alive. Um in California, you know, it's been so degraded. Yeah. Those are two problems to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they did manage to change their system to filter, you know, they're gonna filter the spiders out, but yeah. <laughs> The new problems that we can have when there's biodiversity, you know. <laughs> oh, it's so inspiring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, Nicole, I'm really excited about this Create program, and I'll trust you'll give me the link so I can put this for our listeners to follow up on if they're interested. And yeah. man, there's there's so many cool things coming up. I really look forward to staying in touch and continuing to learn from the resources that you put out there. I want to thank you for those and thank you for your time today. Thank you so much, Oliver. Always great to speak with you. Thanks once again to Nicole. I'll be posting links to her upcoming Create program in the UK, as well as her company Integrity Soils on the show notes for this episode, where you can also find all the previous episodes from the last six seasons. Now, before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from this show. 
Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.